This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Good morning. As Pastor mentioned, uh, my name is Wilson Caldwell. I am the associate pastor of students here at First Baptist. Today, I, Brittany and I, my wife Brittany, is down here on the front row. Today, we have been here one month. Um, I was, uh, I've spoken to, to numerous people in the church that have been here over 50 years, so to, to only be here one month is, uh, we got ways to go. Um, we want to, I want to take it some time just real quickly before we, we dive into the Word this morning, just to say thanks to you guys. Um, this first month has just been a blessing to Brittany and I. We've had a couple of moves. We actually just moved into an apartment on Friday, and, and there was so many people that helped us in those moves, whether it be from Lynchburg to here or from the, uh, the facility to where our stuff was being held to where our apartment was. There must have been 30 or 40 people that helped in that process. So I couldn't even name them all. I would leave somebody out. But we just wanted you guys to know that we're, we're thankful um, and we're appreciative. And we have felt at home. We really have. I know Brittany would, would share the same. We have felt at home as we've been here at, at First Baptist. As I said, we did get moved into an apartment the other day. Everything went pretty smoothly. The internet situation got messed up. They were supposed to come uh, Friday at 2, and turns out they didn't get there till Saturday at 2. Um, that happened. No injuries. All our helpers were safe. We did have a near injury the other morning. I had, uh, we had hung a bunch of pictures up, and we had this, uh, this little picture that I had put over the door frame heading into our bedroom. And I didn't, I just set it kind of on the top of the, the door frame. I didn't nail it to the wall, and I get up Saturday morning to go adjust the, uh, the thermometer, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, something just bangs me in the back of my head, nails me in the shoulder, and he's like, what happened? I was like, a sign fell on my head, um, but, uh, but I was okay, no blood, so we, we survived that, but, uh, but very, very thankful for how everyone has welcomed us, and we're, we're excited to be here, and um, it's been a great first month. We're able to um, go through a week of vacation Bible school, which was a, was a delight and a blessing. Um, just this past week, we were at um, Infuge in Nashville with the students, which was a wonderful uh, experience. I encourage you, if you're able to come out tonight and get to hear from some of the students just about how God worked throughout that week. Um, and then it's cool to kind of cap off the month to be able to spend with the body as a whole as you guys, just to kind of open up God's word and, and share from the heart um, what he has given for me to share with you guys today. So I'm excited about that. Um, so if you have a Bible, um, I would encourage you to pull that out. We're going to be this morning in Psalm chapter 16. If you're going to use a pew Bible, that is on page 453 in the pew Bible. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read from God's Word. God's Word is living and active. As I share this morning, there is no life that I give to this. The life is within it. So as we speak it, we speak life. Psalm 16, beginning with verse 1. says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. If you'll bow your head in prayer with me, you may be seated. Father God, as we come before you today, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for truth. We thank you that your word is living and active and true. We, Lord, this morning as, as we approach this time um, together in your word, we need to hear from your word. Lord, I pray for the person in the room today that is dealing with deep discouragement or, or deep frustration, that's, that's searching for, for an answer. Lord, may you be seen as the answer today. We thank you for hearing us. We thank you for providing for us. And we just want to lift each of these things to you and pray them in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, so if you don't know me very well, you'll learn pretty quickly. I'm a, I'm a pretty big sports guy. And my sport that I enjoy the most is, is the game of basketball. Um, I grew up in a, in a home where um, I had a basketball within my hand by the time I was a toddler. My dad um, played college basketball at, at Hampton Sydney College where pastor's son uh, attends currently. Um, and so my dad was a, a basketball, is a, he's a basketball guru. And so as we were growing up, my brother, my sister and I, basketball was our thing. That was our hobby. It was almost like a part of life for us. And so I loved the game and I always as a child had the dreams, well, man, I'll play in the NBA one day. I, you know, that was my, you know how kids are, you know, you have that dream and then quickly you realize like point negative one percent of people end up going to the pros. Um, it's really hard. Uh, but I enjoyed the game. So once I got uh, up into high school, um, I did have the opportunity to play four years of high school basketball. Um, two years on the JV and then two years on the varsity team. My problem with picking basketball as my, as my sport was I, I wasn't a very big guy. Um, I'm still not a huge guy. I'm about 5'10 now. But when I stepped into the high school um, uh, hallways my freshman year of high school, I was five foot tall. <laughs> um, I was little. And then it, it progressed a little bit by my sophomore year. I was 5'3". Then my junior year, I was 5'6". And then by my senior year, I was 5'8". And then I grew two more inches once I got to college. I was a late bloomer. So if you know anything about the game of basketball, uh, the bigger you are, the better. Um, the more athletic you are, the better. If you can run fast and jump high, that's good. Um, I probably have a vertical only about 20 inches, so that wasn't helping me either. Um, so here was my problem. I loved the game of basketball, but as soon as I stepped onto that, that team my freshman year, 
I kind of garnered the, the image of being the little guy. Now, I know the game of basketball, great ball handler, decent shooter, um, but ultimately I was the little guy. I was the guy that would run out and all the cheerleaders would just be like, oh, look how little he is. You know, and, and I was self-conscious. I was like, oh, I don't want them thinking of me like that. I remember one time uh, we were at Fork Union Military Academy and I got called Leave It to Beaver. Um, that wasn't good. Um, but I was known as, as the little guy. And so as I got older, it, it affected me because my coaches kind of saw me as the little guy. They, you know, I didn't get to play very much. I, I was a bench player throughout my entire high school days. Um, the more you sit on the bench, the more of an effect that has on you mentally because then you eventually begin to realize it just ain't happening. I'm, I'm probably not going to get on to the court. Um, but so I had a problem. I loved the game, but I was struggling. I began to really struggle with this thing called confidence. Confidence was, was really difficult for me because I got to the point where I knew if I got into a game, it was going to be like my one shot to prove myself. And typically they saw me as the shooter, so they put me in like with three seconds left in the half to like do a specific play to try to make the shot before the buzzer goes off. And I'm like, how much pressure is this for the guy on the end of the bench? I've just been, I've been sipping Gatorade the whole time and I'm not ready for this. So the, there was a problem with my confidence. I struggled. I, it, it began to get to the point where my mind became tied up to the point where I was always thinking through things way too much. I was caught up within my head. Therefore, really, I was already a little bit of a step behind because of my height, but due to my lacking of confidence, I took another step back as well. So I, I share that with you this morning because we're going to talk a little bit about confidence. And, and here's the thing, and I'm going to share with you at the end today another story from my high school basketball days, my senior year of, of high school, that I, I think can kind of drive home the point today of when I finally got perspective on where I fit in the picture of my high school basketball team. But today, here's my, my goal for us as we look at Psalm chapter 16 is I want to help build confidence within our heart. You know, just as I struggled with something as, as petty as the game of basketball, just some simple, silly little sport where a round, round ball goes through a, you know, a circle hole, um, there's many of us in here today that are struggling with our confidence for much deeper reasons. You know, you may walk in here this morning and um, you may be experiencing pressured circumstances with your life. It could be, you know, it, it could be financial strain. Maybe ends just aren't meeting very well right now. It could be, you know, you just, you don't have a job and you're looking for a job. Maybe it's, you're struggling with anxiety or depression where you just feel like all the time in your mind you're tied up. Maybe you're, you're struggling with discouragement. Maybe you're, you're at a season in life where you're facing an illness that is leaving this perspective in front of you that makes you kind of tremble within about what, what is going to lay beyond this moment. There's a fearfulness that can develop within our heart. And so as you look this morning, as we, as we study this text, you know, we talk about pressured circumstances. Pressured circumstances typically are going to affect our confidence. They're going to lower our confidence. And then when our confidence gets low... What does that also affect? That affects our joy. So pressured circumstance will lead to low confidence, but then low confidence will ultimately end up leading to low joy. And, and we know there's an evil one that is present and active, and what is he looking to do? He's looking to steal 
to kill and destroy. And what is his big target? He wants to demolish your joy. He doesn't want you to have anything of it. If you're in here this morning and you're following Christ, he's going to do everything he can to put something in the way that's going to take your eyes away from him. And so as we look this morning, there's a reason that I, I, I turned to Psalm 16. I love the Psalms. I was telling the students uh, when we were at camp the other week, the book of Psalms provides me great encouragement within life. <laughs> I've probably read through the book of Psalms uh, probably three or four times within the last uh, three or four years. Uh, I just enjoy it. And here's why I enjoy it is because the Psalms are just so raw. It's, it's like real life stuff. You look at David sometimes just, you know, even today a little bit, crying out to God and, and even questioning God and even wondering, well, how am I going to move forward? And, you know, I feel like I don't even hear you, God. Where are you at? And it's like I connect through that. I connect because you, you see and you, you feel. And, and, and here's, here's what I would encourage you this morning. As we go through this psalm, I would encourage you to kind of put yourself in the heart and mind of David and kind of begin to think, what must he have been thinking? Because I guarantee you today, he's going to paint a picture for us as we walk through this text of how we build confidence. Because as I said, there's many of us in this room that things are not really hot right now. And there's struggle, and there's fearfulness, and there's suffering, and there's the things that, you know, I hate to break it to us, but we are going to face tribulation. Jesus told us that. He says, you will face trials and tribulation, but he tells us also, as we're going to see today, for us to not be afraid because he has overcome the world. So there's a redirecting of our attention to Christ Jesus. Now, the interesting thing before we jump into the text about David and this situation is you can sense as the psalm begins in verse 1, we're going to be able to sense a, a fearfulness in him. Almost like he's a little bit shaken. At, at the core of his being, he's, he's struggling a little bit to kind of work up the confidence. But what we're going to see is he doesn't resort to despondency. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get into a, between a rock and a hard place, I can result, resort to despondency, meaning I can just shut down. And when we shut down, who are the voices we typically listen to? We typically listen to our own fleshly voice, which is always looking to discourage us, or the voices from the world around us that are also looking to pull us away and take our attention away from Christ. But here's the thing. David fought. Yes, he was struggling. What was he struggling within? You see at the title of the psalm, it says, you will not abandon my soul. You know, as I was studying this and looking in, I was trying to put myself in the mind of David, and he had a lot on his plate. I mean, the man's a king, and he has, you look throughout his story, he had failure, he had suffering, he had another guy trying to kill him all the time. You know, there's just, there's just a lot going on within his life. But I was turning to, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verse, in verse 12, and we see that Nathan, the prophet Nathan, comes to David and basically gives him like a, a death warrant, basically saying, you know, you are going to lay in the grave with your fathers, but there is going to be one that comes after you that will be the king of kings. That his throne and his reign will be forevermore. And we know that today. That is the promise of the coming Messiah. Now, David, he didn't see it. 
He didn't have the actuality of Jesus. We today have the blessing of knowing Jesus has come. You know, Jesus has sealed the way for us. He, he died on the cross to save us from our sins, but he didn't stay dead. You know, he was resurrected from the, from the grave, giving us new life if we place our, our hope and our faith within him. But David, he had to really bank upon the promises of God. It wasn't of actuality to him yet. So there's a fearfulness, knowing that I'm gonna have to go to the grave but yet I don't have the actuality of how this promise thing is gonna kind of play out for me from there on. You're gonna see dynamic faith as he builds this up within his heart, as he speaks to God. He doesn't resort to despondency, but yet he follows after him. So that's enough of me talking. Let's look at the word and see what the word has to say to us this morning. And here's what we're gonna see first through verse one through seven. We're gonna see the constructing of confidence. As I said, he doesn't shut down, he fights. David is fighting for joy. Just as this morning, as, we, as I read this, and as we share this, as we spend this time together, we're fighting for each other's joy. We're trying to remind each other of the faithfulness of God and the reality of the promises. So as we look here, beginning with verse one, I'll give you kind of a head start to see where we're going. But we're gonna see that God sees or that David sees God as one his refuge two we're going to see that he's going to see him as his sovereign three we're going to see that he sees him as his treasure but then four we're also going to see that he sees him as his counselor so as we work through this text I want you to think through that and see how he's building himself up to where we get to verse 8 through 11 where confidence storms onto the scene and we see uh, joy begin to well up within the heart of David. So we'll begin with verse 1. And the first point is this is that God is our refuge. David saw God as his refuge. Verse 1 says, "Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge." You think about refuge as being as a as a hiding place. It was a hiding place for for David amidst the the fear of the unknown. Now, when we look at it here, I think it's important for us to inspect. Well, what does this word "preserve" mean? Preservation, um, and then and how is David calling out to God as his refuge? And I was reading this this morning as I was sorting through the text. And it was interesting because we don't see it as if, God, if, if you preserve me, then I will see, I will make you my refuge. It's not like one of these if-then statements. It's almost as if David here is actually saying, preserve me, help me, hold me, God, make me, your, I, you are my refuge. You see the word for there, for in you I take refuge. So it's almost like he's making a statement, God, I desire for you to preserve me, for I have you as my refuge. I'm not throwing it up to chance to make it seem like, well, I hope that you become my refuge. If you do this, like I'm gonna give you the ultimatum, God. Like if, if you work this thing out for me and fix my problems, then I'll see you as my refuge. No, it says there, preserve me, O God, for, and I got in brackets here in my Bible, it says for in you. He sees that the refuge is in the Lord in the Father, in the Father God. So you kind of picture it as being like, he is the strong tower that David is saying, I have run to you. He knows he's fearful. He's like, oh, what in the world am I gonna do? But then he's thinking, but I know I'm banking on faith. I'm trusting the promises, God. Be my refuge. You know, I was thinking about 
you know, as we look at this, I think it was cool for me this week to study through, you know, as we mentioned, David didn't have yet the actuality of the promise in Christ Jesus, but now today we do, and we know how Christ provides for us. And I was looking in the book of John a lot. And, you know, when we look in the book of John, we see all these promises of who Christ Jesus is for us. And, and I like in the book of John how we see Jesus fighting for the chosen people. It says in John chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus says, in, re- in reference to the faithful, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. To thank for us today as we face fearful times, as we try to see Jesus as our refuge, to know that how cool is it that Jesus prays for us, that he actively interacts with us. I look at John 17, 12, where he says, while I was with them, I kept your name, which you had given me, I have guarded them thinking about the fact that Jesus actually guards us. So it's not as if I have to build the walls of that guard, you know, that guard tower around myself. Jesus is saying, I've accomplished that for you. It just, as I, and I continue to go back to Psalm 16 and just David's courageous faith. He didn't have that actuality yet, but yet he knew. He trusted the promise. He knew what was to come. We see first there that he saw God as his refuge. Second, verse two. So we see God is our refuge, but then secondly, we see God is our sovereign. It says in verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As you look at that breaking down, it, broken down, it says, the Lord is saying, Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. All caps Lord is Yahweh, a term used for God. Think about I, the I am, constant, unmatchable, and ultimate. He's saying, Lord, you are my Lord. Basically, you are master over me. It says there, you know, I was, I was thinking about what does this picture kind of look like? Rather than being mastered, what did he do? Rather than being mastered by his fear, he looked to the master. He says, this is not going to control me. This is not going to have power over me for, for you are my Lord. And what did he say after that? He says, for I understand that I have no good apart from you. There's no other options for me to run to for you are the only option. So then my mind immediately drifts back to the book of John. And we look at John chapter 15, verse 5 with the vine and the branches. And he's, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. So we see Jesus say that for us, we can do nothing apart from him. There's a cool word within that John 15. It says, abide. So you think about even David here in verse 1. We see him abiding within God the Father. And so what does that lead to? That sees as he abides in God, he's like, I don't have anything else apart from you. I love the overlap there. It's really neat to see. So we see there, we see God as refuge. We see, he sees God as sovereign. And all, just remember, he's, he's building up here. This is like a prayer that's building up confidence within his soul. Then we look in verse three. Now, verse three and four, we see a contrast here. He's kind of gonna begin to share, what is the absolute focus of my heart? Who am I surrounding myself with? What voices am I paying the most attention to? What am I setting my heart upon verse three we say we see first where he says he talks about how he finds pleasure within good company it says as for the saints in the land they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight 
He found great joy in being surrounded with the people of faith. He found great joy with being surrounded by the people of God. He saw that this is necessary. This is more than just beneficial. This is a need within my life. He didn't get caught within isolation. Taking it back to to us for a moment, typically when we face trial, when we face tribulation, when we face hardship, I mentioned that word earlier, we go to despondency, meaning sometimes we will go like a turtle into our shell and shut down. We won't speak it to anybody else. We try to process it in our mind. We say, I will fight my way through this and I will find deliverance on my own. It just doesn't work that way. That is a pathway to defeat. So we see with David, he didn't do that. He didn't get caught within isolation. He says, I find joy within your people. I ask you this morning, are you finding, are we finding joy within the faithful? Are we surrounding ourselves with people that can help us walk through the valleys? We are not meant to walk through them alone. We have a room full of a ton of people right here. And what are we meant to do? We're meant to surround each other. We should desire to be around each other. We should have people within this room. Each of us should have somebody in this room that when we're going through hardship, we can come and say, This is difficult for me. Will you walk with me through this? That's what it looks like when David's saying there, as for the saints, they're the excellent ones. I find delight. I find great delight within them. No isolation. But then we see in contrast in verse 4, he talks about the unfaithful. And he says there, he says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So when we seek to run after those things that are apart from the will of the Father... We're going to face sorrow. It's a promise there that is given. It says, and after that, it says, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. You see a complete separation here. I was thinking um, this morning of Psalm 101 where it says, you know, the psalmist there is talking. He says, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. That's almost like what we see David saying here. He's like, The sorrows of those that run after other gods, I like to say little g gods, that's what it says, a little g god, not real gods, little g god, their sorrows shall multiply. So he's saying, I'm not even going to pour out their drink offerings, and I'm not even going to take their name upon my lips. So we begin to process again, taking it back to us, what might be some of those things that we are dabbling with that we know are not going to help matters. When we face difficulty, we're going to turn somewhere. Are you turning to the Lord? Because when we begin to follow after our own fleshly desires, we're only left with aimless emptiness. So the cool thing about 1 through 4 there, in brief summary, is we see that David was interacting. You see it in in verse 1. He's speaking to God. I don't know about you guys, sometimes when I face a hard time, it's hard for me to even talk to God. You feel like this weird pressure inside of you, and you're like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even want to talk to God. Everything's so crazy right now. He turned to the Lord. It probably wasn't easy. He was probably fearful of death, fearful of separation, but he turned and he spoke. There's power within that word of interaction. First of all, interacting with our Father. But then we see the importance also of interacting with each other as a body. Turning to verse 5. Verse 5 says this, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. So we begin to see that 
Yes, he says, I find joy in being amidst the faithful. I know I should not be amidst those that, that run after other gods for their, their sorrow, sorrows shall multiply. So now he's saying, of, when I look at that, that you're my chosen portion of my cup, he's like, out of all the cups on the table of my life, Lord, I choose you. And let's think about it. Out of all of us in here, y'all know we got tons of cups and options to, to take from. It's like a buffet. And some of it looks really good. And some of it seems to promise a whole lot. But then as we taste of it, and if it's not of the Lord, what do we experience? Bitter defeat. So he's saying here, you are my chosen portion and you are my cup. And I like that second part there. He says, you hold my lot. Now, we're not talking about a physical piece of land. These, you know, we're not talking about you know, a place where we're going to build a home. The, the focus has got to start turning away from the physical and going to the eternal. He's saying, Lord, I, I know that you hold my entire being together. Kind of builds off verse 1 about being the refuge. You hold me together. I think of Psalm 139. That leads us into verse, verse 6. It says in verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Why do I think of Psalm 139? Because it talks about how we're hemmed in from, from behind and before. Like there's nothing around us that can, that can cause us to, to be out of the presence of God or outside of his will if we are in Christ. So what does that tell me when I think about the lines that have fallen for me in pleasant places? If you are in Christ Jesus this, this morning and if your life is tied and bound within him, you cannot outrun those lines. You don't even see the lines. These are not like limiting lines. These are expansive to the point where they, they push on for eternity. Our mind can't wrap around that. That is, out of all the verses, that's probably the best picture for me in Psalm 16 because I'm like, man, if my life is tied within Christ, the lines are limitless. His grace is plentiful. I can never outrun his goodness. You know, as I was thinking there and looking at verse 6, I think of Romans 8, uh, verse 37 through 39, which we have just studied recently here on Sunday mornings um, with Pastor Thurman. It says in those verses, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we're in Christ, nothing can separate us from him. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So his eyes are turning away from his circumstance and turning to what? The inheritance. What is the inheritance for David? He knew that there was a promised Messiah coming. For us, we know that the promised Messiah has come and that if we are in him, one day he's going to come to take us back to himself. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful truth that we can link ourselves within. And then verse 7, we see uh, the third, uh, finally, it says that he is our counselor. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I love that, that, that verse as he says, the Lord gives counsel. And he says, I praise. When he says, I bless, I praise you, Lord. Thank you for giving me counsel. And it says, in the night, also, my heart instructs me. I was struggling to kind of ponder what that looks like, but I began to think about, do we get still before God? Do you ever slow down and just listen to God and read his word and, and understand that he's going to begin to give us that instruction? So we see, we saw first, God is our refuge. We saw then God is our sovereign. Then we see, not after, or after that, we see that, um, we see that God is our counselor and that he is our treasure. 
refuge, sovereign, treasure, counselor. And then that gets us to the final few verses, which, are the beautiful, which is the beautiful part of this text, where confidence storms onto the scene. And that is the therefore of joy. It says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. David is saying, I have put you before me, Lord. I have made it a point to not have anything else before my eyes. I think we just studied with the youth on, on Wednesday night, Proverbs chapter 4, where it talks about, you know, not swerving to the right or to the left, turning your foot away from evil, pondering the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. He's saying, he's basically having that, that mindset and that heart. He's like, I put you before me. And what does he say? Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So this guy that at the beginning is like, preserve me, preserve me, God, please help me. Now he's like, I'm not going to be shaken. He has preached to himself the promises. And now he says, I shall not be shaken. Then we see that beautiful word, therefore, that transitions into a new season. Therefore, my heart, his heart, became glad, which was at once fearful. His whole being rejoices. And I like the last part. There. It says, his flesh even dwells secure. You know, yes, we must be focused on eternity. But the beautiful thing is, is that if we are in Christ today, we can even find security even in these fleshly times we live in now because the promise is real and actual for us now what a beautiful truth that is and then verse 10 he says in verse 10 for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption you will not abandon me you will not abandon me in, in the grave you will not forget me I will not just cease to be and end up in the dust you won't allow me to, to face corruption. And it's a beautiful verse there. And we see it, that verse referenced a couple times within the New Testament. We don't have time to, to really dig deeper into that today. But we think about Jesus. Through what Jesus accomplished for you and me, that can remain true. For David was, was not abandoned. We see that he did not have to face eternal corruption. Why? Because Jesus sealed the way for us. He provided us a hope and a future. He died the death that we deserve. He took on the whole weight of our sin. He went to the grave, but didn't stay there. He rose again. His own father turned his back on him because he loved us. That's beautiful to think about that in perspective today. And then it closes with verse 11. So then he says at the end, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what do we see in that? Life is only in him. Joy is only found in his presence. Pleasure is at his right hand. And you may say this morning, you're like, well, how, does, how do I get that? You talked about we're going through chaotic things in our life and I'm facing this suffering well how does that become real to me we remember how Christ Jesus has fought for us he has made us a way you know I was sharing with you guys at the beginning about basketball and my senior year of basketball I got to the point where I didn't think I was going to play my senior year the writing was on the wall didn't look like I was going to get any playing time. I was frustrated. And I remember I had talked to my dad, and I was going to my coach's office, and I was ready to say, Coach, I'm not going to play this year. Um, you know, I was defeated, frustrated. I was going to say I'll be a 
team manager or something if you want me to be, but I just don't know if I want to play. And I remember going into his office and tears started welling up in my eyes, and I'm not much of a crier, but I was really bothered that day. Tears kind of started welling up in my eyes, and I remember my coach, Coach Wilson, Coach Brian Wilson, he put his arm around me, and he, he counseled me and, and sat with me and encouraged me and talked to me for about 15 or 20 minutes that day. And by the end of that con our conversation with him, I found new ownership. He told me, he says, you are more than just you know, a side piece to this team. You are, you are one of our biggest assets. I want you, he said, I want you to be a captain on this team. I know that you may not get a ton of playing time, but I want you to be a captain. I want you to be a voice. I want you to be the biggest encourager on this team. I remember as he was speaking these things to me, my attention started to change and I started finding new ownership. You know, I'd been so defeated and so lacking in confidence before, but he gave me almost like a new hope. And I played that senior year of basketball and we had a pretty good year. We went to the region semifinals in the state and I did get to be a team captain. I didn't get to play a lot, but that's okay. Um, but I remember that and I, I learned a lot through that. And I share that because today, you know, for those of us within this room, there's some of us in here that are at that point where we are defeated. Where we may be able to go to the door and say, you know, I'm ready to ship it in. I don't think I can press on anymore. I don't think things are going right for me. This is difficult. You know, the coolest thing is that Jesus steps in and he says, it's going to be all right. Trust me. You say, well, how does he connect with me? Look, I love Hebrews chapter 4. It says that he sympathizes with us in our weakness. He's not like some aloof, distant God that's like a clockmaker and just sets us down and says, see you when you die. He's actively interacting with us. And there's beauty within that. There's great depth and great beauty within the promise. So I close with this verse. It'll flash up on the screen here. John 14, 27. This drove home to me. Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Yes, the world can give us peace, but it's temporary pieces. Not anything that has lasting effect. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In the moments and days before Jesus is dying, who is he thinking about? He's worried about you and I not being troubled. And we walk in these doors this morning, I guarantee you there's probably 50% of us at least that are probably deeply troubled with something and we're just spinning in circles trying to figure out what we're going to do. And Jesus is like, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace he has given to us. So I ask you today, do you know him? Can you by confidence stand on faith such as that? Maybe today you don't have that relationship and maybe it's time where you say, I've been spending way too long and that is the confidence that I need that Christ offers. I'm ready to buy into that today. Or maybe it's somebody in here today, you're like, I follow Jesus, but I'm not really trusting him. I do the church thing, I show up, but I'm not, I'm not even interacting with anybody. I'm not in Christian community. I'm not living out my faith. I've been dabbling with those little G gods where sorrows multiply, and I feel like I'm just in a tailspin. Maybe today it's time where you would say, ah, I need to, I need to redirect my attention. 
pondering the path of my feet so that my ways may be sure. So I ask you today as we close that you would respond as the Lord leads. Be real with each other, but most importantly, be real with the Father for he cares and he actively relates with you and me. For though there's chaos, we can find confidence amidst the chaos in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you today, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, um, Father, we know that there's much hurt within our world. We know there's much hurt within our lives. We know that you said we were going to face tribulations. But Lord, we know that you say you have overcome the world. We have hope in you. We have life in you. Help us to see you as our refuge. Help us to see you as sovereign. Help, please help us to see you as the deepest treasure of our life. We so struggle with that sometimes. And Lord, help us to see that you are our counselor. Let us not listen to the own voices, our own voices in our head, but to, to pay attention to you as, as the voice of truth, and the voice of reason, and the voice of hope. Thank you for the therefore of joy. Thank you that joy is, is completely tied up within you and you desire to share that with us and make it our own. Lord, we lift these things to you and we pray them in your name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. Find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.